I imagine that some of you men have been through some of the same experiences that I've been through and probably happens on at least a weekly basis. I come home preoccupied with whatever it's been that I've been dealing with all day and I read a little bit and play with the kids a little bit and eat and maybe watch a little TV or do whatever else I'm going to do for the rest of the evening and finally it's time to go to bed and as I'm laying there wanting to drift off to sleep, Marita says, did you even notice that I did such and such today? Any other guys ever had that happen? I was able to get her back just a couple of weeks ago. I finally got rid of this broken computer that was on our kitchen counter. I, sn- I found out where to take it. I snuck it out one morning before she got out of bed, hauled it off, and she didn't say a thing about it until I finally said, hey, did you notice that I did such and such for you? So I was able to turn the tables on that a little bit. You know, the problem in all that is when those sort of things happen, what it communicates, whether we intended to communicate that or not, is that, well, I don't appreciate the good things that you do for me. And that's sad in our family relationships. That's a sad thing when it happens between me and my wife or between me and my kids in in either direction. But that kind of thing is really tragic when it happens in our relationship with God. It's extremely tragic when God has done so many good things for us and we demonstrate to Him that we don't appreciate His goodness. Our reading this week has taken us through the book of Romans, or partially through the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul actually tells us there what we need to do to demonstrate our appreciation. And I imagine that every wife in the auditorium here this morning would be happy if we men would open our eyes and talk to them and find out what is it that you want me to do to show that I appreciate you. And I'm sure that all the men would like that from the wives. How much better is it that God has actually declared to us, if you want me to know that you appreciate me, if you want me to know that you appreciate what I've done for you, here's what you have to do. And in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, that's exactly what God has laid out. Paul said, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Some translations say that you despise the riches of His goodness or His kindness. We don't want to despise it. We don't want to demonstrate that we despise God's kindness. Instead, we want the exact opposite. We appreciate what God has done for us. The question is, are we showing it? And how do we do that? That's what I want us to take a look at today as we look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, you are wonderful beyond our wildest imagination. You are the great and awesome God who has created all things, who has given us life and breath and the ability to move and You have given us our strength, and You are the one that provides for us in our weakness. Father, You've forgiven us through Your Son. You've given us the Spirit that reveals Your Word to us so that we might know how to honor and glorify You. We love You, Father, and we don't want to depend just on our think-sos and what we think might be right. We want to know from You how to serve and glorify You so that we can be pleasing to You. Father, please forgive us because too often we have gone in our own way without meaning to. We have despised Your goodness. We have made presumptions upon it, and we ask that you would forgive us for that and help us to turn away from the traps of the devil and to walk in your paths of righteousness that we might submit to you 
and demonstrate our appreciation for Your great blessings. Father, we love You. We thank You so much for loving us. Through Your Son we pray. Amen. Before we talk about how we demonstrate our appreciation, I think it's important for us to look in this verse and see exactly what God's goodness is as described here. Paul uses three different words as he talks about the goodness of God. The first one he talks about is kindness. God has bestowed His kindness. Basically, the concept here is just He's done good and nice and kind things. It's the blessings that God has given us. James chapter 1 and verse 17. James chapter 1 and verse 17 talks about the extent of God's kindness and His goodness. And it says, James 1.17, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every gift we have has come from God. And we need to recognize that every good thing that's ever happened has come from God. It has been His blessing to us. Our families, our friends, our jobs, our congregations, the the houses we live in, the cars we drive, the clothes we wear, every single one of these things is a blessing from God. And all God has to do is snap His fingers and it can all be taken away from us in an instant. That's up to God. It is His gift. And we need to be thankful for that. All of these good things have come from Him. But of course, the most amazing display of His goodness, of His kindness, the blessing that He has offered for all of us is seen in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's the ultimate blessing. There's the ultimate gift. God wanting us to be saved sent His Son to accomplish the sacrifice so that we could have that gift, that blessing of salvation. What amazing goodness and kindness God has shown us. But Paul steps it up a notch by pointing out that it's not just his kindness, but his forbearance. Forbearing is the idea of self-control under provocation. You know, we're taught to turn the other cheek. That's forbearance. When somebody is trying to provoke us and trying to get us to act violently or wrathfully, and we maintain a calm, kind, self-controlled attitude, that is Forbearance. And that's what Paul says God has done with us. He has been forbearing. Even though we have done what we could to provoke Him, even though we have been like that person who would slap Him on the right cheek, He has maintained His forbearance for us. I'll give you a great example of this in Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. Well, remember, as He talked about loving our enemies, He described our Father in heaven and said in Matthew 5 and verse 45 that if we love our enemies, we'll be like, we'll be sons of our Father who's in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Did you notice that? The blessing of the sunshine, the blessing of the rain, it falls on folks whether they've been good or whether they've been evil. God has been provoked by us and yet He still provides those blessings. And of course, the sacrifice of His Son, even though we were sinners, as we just read in Romans chapter 5, as He sent His Son to die for us, 
This is the forbearance of God. And in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, Paul speaks of it again as he talks to the Romans. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, Paul says to them, speaking of Jesus, that God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. Now, I believe in the context of this verse, what he's talking about is the big picture. That instead of completely destroying the world at the first sin, he allowed it to continue on so that he could produce this plan of bringing his son in. But I think we can take that big picture principle and bring it down even to our lives and look at what he's done for us in that same way. I sinned for years. And so did you. And yet God didn't wipe us out for each and every one of those sins, did He? Instead, He practiced forbearance so that we might have time to be saved. That's forbearance. Paul goes on and with a very similar term, speaks of God's patience. And this is similar to the forbearance. It overlaps somewhat. According to Thayer's, the patience here is a self-restraint that does not hastily respond to a wrong. The self-restraint that does not hastily avenge a wrong against Him. And that's what God has done. He is patient with us. Peter talks about the patience of God in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, at some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God hasn't wiped us out because He is being patient. Not because His plan isn't working, but because He is extending patience. This is part of His goodness toward us. In Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, we see an illustration of God's patience. In Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 6, Jesus told this parable. Luke 13 and verse 6, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then it should bear fruit. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Here is the patience of God as he'll wait for years for his trees to bear fruit. Yes, I know, as this parable teaches, at some point God's patience will end. But we need to recognize that we're still here. For each and every one of us, His patience is still enduring despite the fact that we deserve punishment long, long ago. But I hope you notice, and I forgot to highlight this word, but I hope you notice this word right here. You see, Paul doesn't just say that God is kind and forbearing and patient, but he says that He has given us, this is riches for us. The idea that His kindness, His forbearance, His patience, He has given that to us in superabundance. Not just a little bit, but a lot of it, overflowing. This is the goodness that God has given. And yet, what do far too many people in the world do with it? Some of your translations say they despise it. I really like what the ESV here says. They presume on the riches of His kindness. 
And the reason I like this is because I think sometimes when we see despise, people can easily deceive themselves. Oh, I don't despise the kindness of God. I don't hate the kindness of God. They have an appreciation for it, they think. The problem is they make a lot of presumptions through their lives about the kindness of God. Let me share some of the presumptions that people make and, and sometimes deceive themselves into not realizing that not only are they presuming, but they are despising the kindness of God. They're not showing appreciation. And let's make sure that this doesn't fall on any of us, apply to any of us. Think about this. Have you ever heard anybody that views their blessings as approval from God? You see somebody who hasn't followed what God says about how to be saved. They haven't followed the Word of God about what it means to worship and serve Him. And yet they look at the fine house in which they live, the nice cars that they drive, the good clothes that they have, the great job that they have, and they say, well, look, I'm doing great. God must approve. It's amazing in our society. You take a look at a lot of religious books and how many of them use their own experience of the blessings they have in their life as their proof that they must be doing what's right. You all know that I've done a lot of study in prayer. And that's one of the most amazing things to me when you take a look at, at people's writings on prayer. So many of them are sure they've got it right on prayer because of the blessings they receive, and yet the things they're saying aren't according to the Word of God. What's happening here? They're making presumptions on God's kindness and forbearance and patience. Remember what Matthew 5.45 said? We read it moments ago that He sends His blessings on the righteous and the unrighteous. The fact that the entire community today is going to be able to participate in the blessings that come from this rain. This rain is going to continue the cycle of life and it waters crops and it, and it provides us with water and it feeds us and all of that. Everybody, wicked and righteous alike, get to enjoy those blessings. God has never said that life is going to be grand for His children and it's going to be awful for everybody who's looking. He's just never said that. These blessings come on all of us. It is a presumption on God's kindness to assume that because I've been blessed in some way, that that necessarily means I'm right with God. Consider another one. They view the lack of immediate judgment as God's approval. Have you ever heard anyone say, well, I did such and such and no fire fell out of heaven? Well, I did such and such and the building didn't collapse. You see, what they're doing is they are presuming on the forbearance and patience of God. That because God is patiently allowing them to continue in sin so that one day He gives them time to turn around, that they view that as approval. That's a presumption. I fear that perhaps the stories of Nadab and Abihu and Uzzah and Ananias and Sapphira have caused some of us to believe that God is going to strike us dead the instant we do something wrong. That's just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible demonstrates those stories as exceptions, not the norm. Those aren't the rule. Those are exceptions to the rule. Read First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles sometimes and take a look at how God deals with folks. Now, those kings did things wrong all the time, and yet God had patience. Why? Because He hoped they would change. Let's not presume on God's forbearance and patience. I think some folks presume on the kindness of God because they rely on God's patience to repent when they've sinned all they want. There are some folks that I've heard, and maybe you've talked to some folks like this, that they know what the Bible says. They want to go to heaven. They want to serve God. But first, I want to do all of these other things. And what I, what I plan to do is someday, once I've gotten all this out of my system, then I'll start doing what God wants me to do. 
You see, what they're doing is they're presuming on the patience of God, number one, that they're going to have time to repent later whenever they finally decided to do it. But number two, they misunderstand how it works. If we look in the context, Romans chapter 2, and read on into verse 5, it says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see what this passage is pointing out is that when I am presuming on the righteousness of God, when I am making these presumptions and continuing on, all I'm doing is hardening my heart. Here's the thing I want you to understand. If you're sitting there saying, I want to pursue this desire, I want to pursue these passions, and then one day when I finally had my fill, then I'll come back and serve the Lord, it doesn't work like that. The longer you pursue your fleshly passions, I'll get it out here in a second, fleshly passions, the harder your heart becomes the less you're even going to want to turn back to God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, describes people who live with this idea. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. When we say that one day I'll serve the Lord, but right now I've got to do this, all we're going to do is make ourselves more and more and more callous, hardened to what God has prepared for us and the freedom that He offers. Don't presume on the patience of God. Or how about this one? They rely on outward rituals to say that they're right with God. Have you ever known somebody that got baptized, they go to church on a regular basis, but then they live however they want the rest of the time? They have the idea that because I'm doing these things, oh, you know, I I give in the plate, I take the Lord's Supper every Sunday, I don't sing with instruments, I'm getting all these outward things right, but it's not affecting their spirit. They haven't repented. They haven't really turned to the Lord and allowed Him to free their soul from their sins. They've got a checklist religion. And how easy it is to quantify those outward things. Well, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. And Does that remind you of somebody you read about in the Bible? Perhaps in Luke 18? You remember the two men that prayed before God? There was one who couldn't even look at God, but there's another... The Pharisee, in Luke 18 and verse 11, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Look at these wonderful things that I do. I've done this, and I've done this, and I haven't done that. Of course, interestingly, when we read Jesus' description of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, we find that this Pharisee is deceiving himself because Jesus said the Pharisees were unjust. They were lusters we learn in Matthew chapter four, or 5, 6, and 7. Checklist religion. I'll make sure I go to church because I want to go to heaven, but I'm not going to let it affect me. And of course, we have that same thing when folks get all upset because we go a little bit past 11 because God forbid that we should worship the Lord and edify one another longer than an hour because I'm just trying to check with my religion. I went to church and I don't want it to take that long. Thinking that rituals will grant them salvation. 
or the presumption on God's patience and forbearance by allowing grace to be a license to sin. Now, this is a big thing, I think, in our world today, even among churches. I mean, there are churches that have entire doctrines that really do this, whether they mean for it to do or not. The idea of once saved, always saved is, is allowing grace to be a license to sin. And I know that folks who teach that don't, don't want folks to do that. I'm not trying to say that. But that's what it does. It allows grace to be a license to sin. And if you ever talk to somebody about a misunderstanding that they have about the Scripture that you believe they have, or, or a sin that they're committing in their life, and instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to study that and figure it out, or, or I'm going to work on that and you're right, I should stop, what do they say? Well, that's why Jesus died. Oh, we're not perfect, that's why Jesus died. But guys, I'm not talking about the growing, maturing Christian who is, who is struggling but improving and growing in Christ. I'm talking about the person who uses this as an excuse that says, you know, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because, hey, that's why Jesus died. Romans chapter 6 deals with this. In Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? In verse 1, Paul wrote, Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Grace is supposed to be a reason for us to want to obey God. Not a reason for us to just wallow in our sins and our immaturity. Grace is a reason for us to grow in Christ. Not a reason for us to stunt our growth because of Christ. And we're presuming on the goodness of God if we allow grace to be a reason to sin. When we do these things, we may feel like we have some appreciation for God's goodness, but what we're really doing is despising it. We're making presumptions. So how should we respond? Paul sums it up in one word. Why did God do all this? Why did God bestow His kindness, His forbearance, and His patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's how we show our appreciation. Yes, we need to say thank you. Yes, we need to verbally express our appreciation. But if we really want God to know that we care and appreciate what He's done for us, this is what we do. We repent. We change. God has done all these things not so we can continue to be the way we've been, but so we can be something different. We've heard enough sermons on repentance to know that it's the idea of thinking through again, to know that it's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart and action. We know that repentance is the idea that in our lives we've acted and walked and pursued one course and now we've thought through it and we've realized we were wrong and we've said that God is right and now we're turning and our lives are changing. Not just our words, but our lives are changing to follow a course that pleases and honors God because now we realize that's what's good. And that's what God wants from us. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul points out that he wants us to be a living sacrifice. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed 
by the renewal of your mind. He's given us these blessings. He's been forbearing. He's been patient because He wants us to have the time to change our minds and our lives. Romans chapter 6. Beginning at verse 16. Romans 6 and verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. He's given us the kindness, the patience, and the forbearance to set us free from our sins so that we can pursue righteousness. He wants that change. That's why He's done all of this. Not so we can be the same, but so that we can be different. How do we appreciate God's kindness? It's not by shoving all the differences in the religious world under the rug. It's not by just copping out about our sins and immaturities by saying, that's why Jesus died. It's by changing. It's by growing in Christ. As 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Peter 3 verse 18. This is how Peter ended his letter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why God gives us grace. Not so we can stay the same, but so we can grow. Have you ever known anybody who's just a mooch? Somebody who's always looking to see what they can get from other people. And they'll hang out with the folks that can give them the most, whether it's time or money or, or material goods. And they'll spend all their time with them and they never give anything back. They may not ever even say thank you. Have you ever been around somebody like that? Sadly, that's the way most of the world treats God. That's even the way, brethren, most of the religious world treats God. If we don't want to be that mooch in God's presence, we need to show our appreciation through change, through growth, through repentance. And I realize that for some of us, that's going to be a long, slow process. This is not necessarily talking about a, okay, I've made my decision tomorrow, I'm completely different. It's a growth thing. Some of us, I have no doubt, have become so wrapped up in sin that it takes time to get out of that. But that's why God is patient with us. But let us never presume on God's patience to think that means we can just stay the same. Let's show our appreciation. And let's repent and turn to the Lord.